This episode of the SaaS Revolution Show is sponsored by Oyster. Oyster is the global HR platform that makes it easy to employ people remotely in other countries. It's purpose-built for globally distributed organizations that want to tap the global talent pool and give all their employees around the world a great employment experience. Oyster lets you hire, pay, and give great local benefits in over 75 countries. To find out more, visit oysterhr.com. It's important, I think, that founders can tell their story in a really compelling way, and this takes practice, and they need to answer why, how, and what. So really, why is your motivation and, and vision to start this company? How is your plan to achieve the vision, actually? What, what's your roadmap? And what's the product itself? And, uh, and and if you're good, I think, in storytelling, you will touch on all of these elements throughout the conversation relatively early. But I think that's really what, what we're looking for in the early days at Seed. I have something cool to announce to you, the listeners. On December the 15th, we have a brand new SaaS doc event, Blueprint Series for CEOs. It's all about giving SaaS CEOs the blueprint to go from good startup to great scale up. It's a one day live event, a CEO peer group all year round, and gives you access to investor matchmaking days. Over the last five years, we have refined the blueprint based on insights from the world's greatest SaaS founders and specialists to help you move up from startup to scale up successfully. We're bringing this together for you on December the 15th online. With the events and program, you will learn how to avoid mistakes that can kill your business, how to hire and manage the best exec teams, how to build a partner ecosystem that works, how to do deals without the founder, how to extend runway and secure investment amongst other things. We've some amazing speakers that have done it, seen it, and will share the, their blueprint to success. These include Brian Halligan, CEO of HubSpot, Goddard Abel, CEO of G2, David Cancel, CEO of Drift, and Shelley Perry, general partner of Scale Logics, and more. If you're interested to join and want to learn more about taking your startup from good to great, go to sasdoc.com forward slash blueprint, use code SASREVOLUTION20 for a 20% discount on your tickets if you're going to join us. Welcome to the SaaS Revolution Show, uh, Sarah Knuckle, uh, Investment Manager at the North Zone. Uh, welcome, uh, Sarah. How's it going? Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, great to have you on the show. Um, we've had you speak at SaaS.com conferences uh, uh, in the past and obviously um, uh, I think recently at, at SaaS.com EMEA. Um, uh, and um, uh, yeah, like you know, just great to have you on, on, on the podcast. North Zone's uh, involvement uh, uh, with SaaS Doc, um, you know, proud to, to partner with you guys, um, and keen to know a little bit more about you, uh, and also uh, talk about seed investing and raising uh, seed rounds uh, today. This is quite a common question we're getting, um, you know, through through all our events and, and throughout this year. Um, before we go into like raising seed yeah. rounds, uh, let's get to know you a little bit. Um, uh, so yeah, tell us uh, who is uh, who is Sarah Nickel? Yeah, thank you so much. Um, I'm originally from Germany. Been living in the UK last seven years. Have done various different things from finance to a startup world. I was part of a French startup for three years. We were built at the UK and German market. 
At the same time, I think at the end of this three years journey, I started FemStreet, which is uh, one of the leading newsletters now and community for women in tech and women in VC. Through FemStreet, I've built my US network of investors and founders, and then also yeah, started to kind of like be introduced more into the VC world. Um, I ended up joining Dawn Capital, which is a B2B SaaS-focused fund. We all know pretty well, um, one of the leading and largest funds in Europe, just investing in B2B software companies, but basically learned to just love, you know, enterprise software. And I continue to be really, really excited about B2B SaaS companies in Europe. And I think it's a, it's a fantastic time now to build a B2B software business actually here. Um, and then um, just missed maybe hanging out more with founders from the C to Series A phase or and really spending more time with them, helping them grow their business, getting to a Series A faster and ultimately decided, you know, to join a fund work and basically just to do this. And um, so I'm now investing at Seed at North Zone. I'm running our Seed and investment program here. Awesome. Awesome. And, yep. and I guess kind of on, on that point, um, well, obviously, why you've gone, you know, moved into the North Zone role yeah. and um, investing at, at, at the seed stage. But, like, how have you found it sort of like this year, obviously, with the pandemic and being in lockdown and perhaps not being able to meet up with founders as much? And obviously, when attending conferences, um, you know, they've all been online uh, this yeah. year. So how has that dynamic changed? And, you know, are you enjoying remote investing or uh, yeah. you know, how's that working? I love it, I think, because um, founders can ultimately speak to more people in a shorter period of time. And, and I think everyone is a lot more comfortable now with remote investing, probably with remote, you know, pitching. I think we have all we had our adjustment period for, for a few months. And uh, and now I think everyone's pretty, pretty comfortable because that's the way it is. I, I must admit, I was traveling a bit during the summer. I spent some time in Germany. I spent some time in Paris as well. I think I was during the period of, you know, when things were a little bit easier to travel and connect with founders and local funds, because I still think the, the local element of trust is particularly important for a lot of European founders that are, are tied to the existing local ecosystems and where it's, it's maybe a little bit harder for European funds to just crack every market really, really well where they haven't invested before. And, and for that reason, want to spend more time also in areas and, and to build that level of trust. But I'm, I'm finding it um, incredibly, I think, easy from an investor point of view. I think it's it's harder for the founders, but I think now everyone's getting used to it. But for us, I think it's it's more of an efficiency as well. We can see more founders, but you're never going to get to the same emotional level than spending time with a team, going to the office, going to meet the rest of a team, just more, you know, on a, I would say, non-investor level, just on a, on a human level, right? You're having way different, I think, conversations if you're actually spe- speaking to someone face-to-face than when you're just on a Zoom call where things are ultimately a little bit more transparent transactional as well so I think that's probably the thing I'm missing the most and where where we all have probably a little bit more work to do do you think do you think remote investing is here to stay I think so um, I think people if they have the opportunity to travel they will they will travel and for this maybe final decision but I think for all the top of the final work you can do you know there have been plenty of other funds that have invested remotely for the last years already and have done it well. Um, I think people are a lot more comfortable now, but I think for this final decision, when you actually want to speak to the team and meet more of them because you're 
you're you know, starting from a Series A journey, maybe not a seed side, but you're actually coming in a Series A or Series B, you want to have more face-to-face interaction with everyone. And I think it's the same for the, for the founders, right? They want to make sure that the VC is actually the right partner for this journey for the next eight to 10 years. Um, so I think we will see a mixture, but I'm, I still believe that remote investing will have a good chance of, of staying there. Can you give um, a bit more of a background in, in, into North Zone then, a bit of the, the yeah. history of, of North Zone, some of the companies that you've invested in and, and some of the, the I guess, the, the investment uh, philosophy and ethos of the, of the company? Exactly. I mean, North Zone has been around for close to 25 years now. And uh, we've always been a generalist fund, and we're now investing out of this new fund from C to Series B. We started off originally in Norway with a $7 million fund and then grew into Europe and also grew into the East Coast US, where we're deploying roughly 20% of our capital now. We raised a pretty large fund of $500 million end of last year. And um, it, it also means you know, that we're, we continue, I think, to do what we've been doing well before. Um, backing founders in areas that we know well, from e-commerce to B2B fintech um, to, you know, enterprise software. But I think we're also doubling down on a few of our strike zones where we think the European market is heading towards where we maybe haven't been so strong before or think we might not be so well positioned actually to win a Series A. I think that's why also where the C program is coming in to really double down on on areas we know, but also go into new areas and new markets actually, where we think we, we can be well positioned to win a seed round and help the founders because we have built such a strong network or level of expertise and and have the the knowledge from you know spotify that we backed extremely early or izatel or Arbito, which was sold to naspers for close to three billion uh, we also investors in klana really early on or, or trust pilot in in denmark so I think we, we're increasingly, you know, seeing, I think, that um, funds are moving more towards enterprise software as well. I'm, for example, very focused on data and dev tools, which maybe, you know, hasn't been historically the, a very strong focus of, um, of Northstone as a brand. So we're building out in internal teams that are more, I would say, focused on a few areas, but it's actually something we've always been good at because Northstone was always a fund that where each of the individual partners or everyone in the team had their own strike zones and was able to, to really um, be known for or to do what they're actually good at. And, and I think that's something what we continue to be doing, actually. And, um, and yeah, I think we're, you know, with our generalist approach, um, we think VCs, you know, don't really predict the future as founders do. And uh, and we also think about this from a way that we hope that founders can can teach us what's coming next. And we've been through various investment cycles, so we've seen um, a lot of you know the, the patterns or what's happening in the market right now. We have seen it before, and we feel that's why we're pretty confident and investing and the high risk now. I think also during these times, I would say there at the seed side there are four categories we're, we're very much excited about. We're looking, I think at the broader level, you could say we're, we're looking into companies that are reshaping the way we, we build, work and, and live. And, and what that actually means is we're looking a lot into future of work and productivity. That was something, you know, pre-COVID already, we've spent a lot of our time in financial wellness or overall, I would say more B2B fintech. Um, every company is now becoming a fintech company, but what does it actually mean? And um, I spend a lot of time on data and dev tools, like I already mentioned before. We've seen a huge wave of new companies being 
build um, in, in the data space. And, and the last one is more in the kind of like social and, and e-commerce category. So we spend a lot of time looking into consumer social behavior, how it's changing, and then ultimately think that these are spaces where we want to double down on, especially on the seed side. We're seeing and hearing a lot from uh, a lot of the, the founders that attend SASTOP that you know one of the things keeping them up at night is raising the rounds, whether it's extending the runway or, or hmm. just raising that first seed round. What advice would you have for founders that are raising that first seed round? What are the things they need to think of and get prepared and, you know, if they're going to be approaching PCs such as yourself? Yep. Um, I think a lot of founders, you know, they they know the, the, the basic things that need to be kind of like in, in a pitch deck. Um, you know, when it comes about like uh, it's about competition or you want to have a good team slide. Um, but I think that the perfect pitch really doesn't really come naturally to everyone. It, it's planned, it's practiced, it's tweaked as well. Most founders have a good sense of the basic things, but really what's missing a lot is a lot of narrative. We're seeing, I think, a lot of founders, they, they understand they need to have the proof of a, what's a billion dollar plus opportunity in their uh, maybe early data points to support that, I think, thesis. We're, we're VCs, we're looking for a clear framing of the why now, I think, even at the seed level. And, and especially at seed, I think it's about why this is the best team really to start this business. And, and that's quite often what's missing when you actually, you know, you look into a competitive landscape. What exactly should we now at seed already back this company and not wait maybe until the series A? And I think a, a lot of the things that are missing around storytelling and narrative really it's something that I'm trying to figure out while I'm asking a lot of how questions. So quite often, if this is missing, I'm really going deep and trying to understand uh, what's really uh, what's behind the founder's thesis really. And um, it's important, I think, that founders can t- tell their story in a really mo- really compelling way. And this takes practice. And and they need to answer why, how, and what. So really, why is your motivation and, and vision to start this? to start this company, how is your plan to achieve the vision actually? What, what's your roadmap and, and what's the product itself? And, uh, and and if you're good, I think in storytelling, you will touch on all of these elements throughout the conversation relatively early. But I think that's really what, what we're looking for in the early days at Seed. If the founder was not good at storytelling, but they had an excellent product in a, in a, in a great market, would you still invest? Maybe, you know, for us, seed is particularly special where we're thinking, you know, maybe the time the team needs more time to figure things out. And uh, and we can unfortunately have the luxury of waiting out until Series A. So um, I think, you know, if we're, if we're not 100% sure or convinced, but we, we love the market, we love the product, we think the team ultimately, you know, needs more time. And it's for us, you know, way more of saying we, we need to track it for the Series A. Well, what's the... What's your kind of best advice or just advice in general for for founders that obviously they've never raised around before? Um, you know, it's a relatively kind of inexperience around yeah. that. Like to to meet with VCs and get in front of VCs. Like how 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 does a a founder with this inexperience, you know, get in front of of yourself? Yeah, good question. I think, and it's increasingly harder. So I think there are obviously two, I think there are two answers, I think, from my side to that question. First one is very basic that if you actually want to go out raise in the next, let's say, three to six months, I can recommend everyone to start with a list of, let's say, 50 venture firms they think would be a good fit. And then you should figure out a way to reach out to all of them. 
there, there's plenty of material online to how reach out cold to investors. Obviously, it's great if you can get an intro. I think that's that's a good approach, but you also have to make sure you're speaking to the right person. Right person, I mean, you know, it's it's not a bad thing to speak to an associate, but also speaking to the right person or writing, messaging the right person that actually knows the space. If you message me about a, you know, about a health company that I have, or maybe a biotech company, I absolutely don't know anything about a space. I, I won't reply. But, you know, if you're sending a really tailored message just to the right person, I think, within a venture firm that has invested maybe in the space before, you know, they're familiar with, they're investing at the stage as well, then, you know, you have really good, I think, chances of, of getting a response. Um, and the goal should be, I think, of these maybe 50 emails you would send out or intros you get, that you get between four to six responses. You only need to be you need to get to like four to six responses and then you, you can jump on a call with them. And, and these initial four to six people are going to be your candidates, I think, of investors that you should be nurturing over these three to six months up until you're raising. And I think then it's really, really important. I think that's the one thing founders usually don't manage well as you get, you need to have someone who is kind of like your, let's say your friend, your Sherpa, who would really help you get some intel as well, who, who who's rooting for you and helps you get some insight as well, translates maybe some passes or what other VCs are thinking about you and, and shapes kind of like help you, help you just get into the right direction. Um, I'm obviously, I'm also running Femme Street, which has grown now into a community and the whole, the whole idea behind is that founders, even from underrepresented backgrounds, people that don't have access, which is obviously the main problem for a lot of founders not having access. And the whole access question, you know, is even harder now. It's a bigger problem now during COVID when we're all spending time at home and you don't really meet the VCs anymore. So really, I think I can recommend, you know, signing up to the newsletter without being like too promotional here. But that's a great way of helping you understand how investors think. And, and ultimately, you know, if you think about joining um, for a few months, because that's a platform where you can a, connect with investors, build out your profile and be, you know, connect with other founders as well, ask for advice. How are they, you know, tackling this and, and going into a situation like that in certain, certain ways? Um, another way I see a lot is Twitter. People are building out their, their profiles on Twitter. They're increasingly more active, not just in tweeting, but also just engaging with investors in a, in a very different way. I think it's a smart way building out your, your personal brand, getting a known in the market, and, and people will remember you. And I think that's it doesn't come natural to everyone, but I think it's a it's a smart way of of getting to to build a relationship with a with, I think, investor prior to maybe active actively raising. Roughly how many emails do you get uh, from people who are pitching their companies like per, per month? It, it's still, I, w- I would lie if I would say it's 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 still less than like 20, 30%. Yeah. So it's unfortunately, and, and I spend a lot of time looking at B2B SaaS. So of course it's, it's even less on B2B software side. And um, it, it's still, unfortunately, I think it's a, it's a funnel problem as well. I think the founders are still there, but, you know, they're not getting, I think, to, to speak to the right VCs at the right time. And I see this a lot in Femme Street. We have sourced or we have spoken to a lot of founders through the platform at Northzone. Uh, companies are using it to, to attract diverse talent as well. There's still not enough platforms, I think, to reach to these people. Uh, and quite often they're not so tied in, in, to the VC world or not so well connected in venture to actually know, you know, even the tech world, to know what are the resources to get out there initially. 
And, and I think that's still the, the missing piece there where there's so much work that can be done. What makes a good... Uh, so you received an email from, uh, or let's say 10 emails from 10 different founders uh, that are looking for seed funding. What makes you open kind of one and then say, yeah, you, you know, I, I'm going to kind of follow up with this one. Obviously, I mean, you mentioned in terms of like, if it's like in data or dev, you know, it's got to be that kind of right sort of fit. But what, what makes a good uh, email, you know, for, for an investor to open? What are you looking for? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm looking for a really catchy, let's say a, a catchy title as well. Um, usually it should be swift, um, should be kind of like a one-liner on what, what your big business actually does. I think that's important. Um, then I think it should be about um, why you're the right team to back this business. Um, and then it should be about um, how much you're actually raising and um, and then maybe also have some links behind it. And you should say what you actually need the money for. I think that's also important. Um, but also how maybe have more of a conversation with us about why, you know, would like to speak to us about like some insights into the market and um, maybe have it a little more in, engaging just for the investor to feel like they need to reply. So this call to action quite often is really missing. Founders, you know, they write really long emails, but in the end it can just be like, I'm building this X for this reason. So really the why, why are you building this? And what's your track record? And if you have traction, you know, obviously put it in there. Um, and and why also we are interesting, I think, actually, um, you know, for you. So I think just, you know, sending an email to Charlotte, um, you know, I quite often receive emails that aren't even addressed for me where I feel like this is definitely not a personalized email. Why should an also invest now um, is, is helpful. And then attach, you know, a few links that help everyone, you know, website, for example, to get familiar more with the product and maybe the team as well. Um, and uh, and you can always ask for feedback if you feel like it's not the right fit. I tried to respond to a lot of emails. Unfortunately, I can't respond to every email, but I'm trying to give feedback on why I think, you know, it's, it's too early for us. Or I think we just don't invest in the space as well, which usually helps founders to really understand who are the right investors they should speak to. How do founders um, really kind of find the right VC, the, the, the VC that is a right fit uh, for them? You, you, you mentioned about you know, yeah. finding a list of, let's say, 50 and yeah. hopefully we get to six. Do you need 50 that are a good fit or a good enough kind of fit and, and yeah. you know, get it down to six? So how, how, yeah. how does that operate? Yeah. I've been saying, actually, it's, an, it's a good question. I've been giving advice to a founder recently who got, off, got a lot of investor interest and uh, he was a first-time founder. He was quite inexperienced. And uh, the, the one thing we recommended is that you should just select a partner you get on really, really well with. I mean, with partner, you know, I mean, a, a fund or a team that you, you're going to be working with because, um, you know, are these really people um, you would enjoy working with, you can get support um, from. It's kind of like a, a marriage. So why would you, you know, go into it before having a try, I guess? Um, but I think quite often also people or founders forget if you let someone on your cap table, it's about values as well. So you have to choose someone that has the same values to you. And, um, and quite often, you know, you should choose a partner over a brand, you know, if it's maybe a great VC brand, but they don't help you actually so much, you don't really share the same values with you, then it's, it's not really a great fit. You should also look for someone who is actually a believer in your company. 
sometimes VCs are just excited about you because you are a hot company, a hot deal right now. This is kind of like the investor I would avoid if, if I were a founder. You should go with someone who really wants to invest in your business, has their own deep conviction in your market, in your offering, and in you as an entrepreneur as well. I think that's a really important. And uh, the startup journey has many ups and downs. So you will only, I think, figure out what kind of partner this really is when things are actually going downhill. And uh, you will adjust your course, you will pivot, you know, as you go, uh, it's not going to go a straight, you know, upline. There will be, I think, days when things are really, really challenging. So really make sure you're fundamentally aligned uh, from a value perspective and that the team you're, you're choosing as a fund, they're, they're really convinced that, that you are the right team to build this. And, and I think another point is, what I'm increasingly seeing, especially on the European ecosystem, is that you have to pick and understand what kind of advisor you actually want. So there, in European venture, there are unfortunately not that many entrepreneurs that are now running venture firms. A lot of the VCs, especially at the partner level, if they're not coming from Rocket, then they have a very strong financial background, maybe have never built a business before. So you have to understand who is the partner, actually, what's their style of, of guiding companies as well. And I think the best VC partner on, on your board will probably be someone who is more of a, I'll call them qualified CEO advisor, VCs who are experienced entrepreneurs themselves. They've been in the shoes of a founder before as a CEO or maybe an operator they're probably the most obviously qualified for this. And then I would also maybe pick more of a soft advisor. So that would be a VC that gives you advice and, and trusts you to kind of like do whatever you want with, with that advice. Um, the second bracket I would say is probably more, more common, unfortunately, uh, will be the, the not so qualified CEO advisors who haven't maybe built their own business before and and claim to know about product um, and and building a company, and and they're also hard advisors, which I think you know it's pretty tricky to work with uh, for a lot of founders. So I think that's one thing you you need to understand, and, and maybe you need more of a hard advisor. Um, but I, I I think you know most most founders they like soft advisors and, and like to work with qualified CEO advisors that have deep knowledge of the space they're in and maybe been there before. When a, a startup is uh, pitching, um, they've got that meeting, you know, they come in and they've got the deck ready, they, they've come in to meet and also uh, in this instance, who, who should be there to pitch? Should it always be the CEO? Um, you know, do you see like, you, you know, what are the, the kind of, should it be the whole founding team? Who are you looking for to be in that meeting? And who, who don't you want to see in that meeting? Yeah. Make sure you bring the best people that can speak. So I think that's really important. Um, the CEO at least, you know, should be there. Um, I think it's also helpful to have maybe a product person there. So a CPO, product lead, and uh, a CTO occasionally, I think, is also incredibly helpful, but you can also have a separate session. So I quite often see your first initial calls, maybe just with the CEO, depending on what his background is. If he has a very strong product background, then that's, I think, also great. We will, we will ultimately go really deep on product in the first initial call. And then we will have follow-up sessions where we go again into product, more commercials, and also speak to the CTO because we want to understand what kind of CTO he is. Is he more of a you know, 
zero to one person who's really good on getting to you know the first basic level or is he really good and going deep on a few elements and uh, so I think these will all be done in follow-up sessions where you can you know individual have individual deep dives and where it's it's fine if things are not perfect but I think for the first initial impression and pitch for the key elements you really want to you know kind of like bring over to the investor and, and make them understand and get excited about the business it's good to have one or two people that are really driving the discussion maybe a little bit more business and oriented and that that are comfortable in speaking so i think that's that's what i would suggest depending on whoever that is i've seen i've seen in the past that there there are uh there, there are people out there whose job is to kind of help uh, you know, founders and startups get funding, um, and you know, I don't know actually if they if they come into the meetings themselves or whether they secure meetings. But would you you know ever advise of, of that if you have that third party and they're taking some success fee that they come in and they pitch for you? Would would that go down well at all? I have seen founders do that. I think it's very uncommon at Seed because at Seed it's about the team. We need to get on well with the team, align with their mission. I think at the later stage, it's a lot more common and, and totally possible. And, and we would be, you know, happy to to take companies that come through advisors. And actually, we have done it, and we have a very good success story through this already. Um, but at the seed level, I think it's incredibly hard because we just ultimately want to back the best teams. And I think they should take time, take the time to, to spend time with investors and pick the right ones and ultimately drive the discussion. And they will be the, the best people to articulate the vision and what they actually want to build and why they're building it and how they're going to get to. So for me, this is crucial. And I, I haven't spoken to a single advisor at the seed bound um, we're we're just about to head into a, uh, a lockdown in, in in the UK and you know France is in lockdown and many other places in, mm. in Europe. Fingers crossed, it's just for four weeks. But we we don't know, but I'm I'm, I'm feeling optimistic uh, here. Um, but expect during that time um, that obviously you may be doing you know receiving some pitches over Zoom, um, and again with remote investing uh, that may become you know part of the, the new normal in terms of securing investment at seed and other stages. Are there any recommendations that you can give to founders like when pitching over Zoom, you know, anything they should be doing and, and shouldn't be doing? I mean, should they be wearing a suit and uh, jogging bottoms or, you know, how do they come to the meeting? What, what are your recommendations? No, I think, you know, everyone is now used to, you know, being in, in different settings. So I think uh, we are pretty uh, relaxed on that. I think what's important is to have good connection, good internet connection. You know, it's it's like the, it sounds really basic, yeah. but it, it's not, I think, anymore. If you think people are working from very different places and quite often you make a really good impression if you're on time, if you have a good internet connection and, and you basically just have a fluent conversation about the business and you don't even, slides are obviously great, which are helpful in guiding the conversations. Maybe you have a few slides prepared. And, and if I think the VC really has a deep understanding of the space, then I think it's even better doing Zoom to really click because you can have a lot deeper conversation about it and, and bond, I think, beyond just, you know, a very transactional conversation. In most cases, you only have, I would say, 30 to 45 minutes to really make a good impression. 
So I think starting off, you know, with a, a really good, like I would say one-liner on what you're doing and then really being structured, I think is, is really, really helpful. Some founders, you know, they're, they're getting maybe nervous and they're starting to be all over the place. And, and I think now that everyone's speaking to, to more investors and, and investors are speaking to more founders, it's really important to, to just be relaxed, you know, just, um, I think that's, that's, it's really important. And, and, and everyone can sense that if someone is really, really nervous, not very structured, then, you know, you, you lose the attention span of an investor. And, and now we're having eight or 10 calls a day. So it's important to, to have this attention span. And the first initial, I would say 10 minutes are probably the most important ones. So just make sure you're on time and you, you know, you you have a stable internet connection and you start the conversation in a really structured way. And in the best way possible, so you also have a clear outcome of what are the next steps. I think that's important. Even if you if you only have 30 minutes and you couldn't dig into everything, make sure you, you're clear on the next steps for everyone. Uh, we come to the, the final um, sort of part of the show, the final uh, mm. kind of questions. So we always ask our guests, how do they stay healthy and sane? Um, so keen to know uh, what your way is. I used to be a, a former athlete, so I'm, I'm used to being super active. Um, and uh, for me, going to the gym like five times a day was the normal. So first thing I did when we went into lockdown in March, uh, I, I, I got a Peloton, so um, which has been the best investment ever. I can really, really recommend it. Um, get the monthly subscription and you know don't pay it off all in one go, um, which is actually incredible. And uh, so I just work out daily and uh, it's helping me, I think, just to stay sane. Otherwise, I think I, I would not be able to function. And, and I think I've been eating relatively unhealthy during the lockdown because, you know, you're just snacking. But I think that's... Um, that's fine. I think just be good to yourself, you know, have different slots where you're more productive, where you want to be more focused and, and then also give yourself a break. Schedule walks in your calendar. So I'm doing that actually now from the, this week again, I have 30 minute sessions in there where I just want to go out for a walk. I might have a call, but I might just not. I might just buy a coffee if that's possible. And I think that's that's really the one thing. So take care of yourself in the evening. At some point, just shut off your phone, close your laptop at 7 or 8 p.m. and, and trying to like switch off and um, and try to do find the one thing that helps you really stay sane. For me, it's sports, but it might be reading for someone else. So I think that's really important, finding the one thing that helps you be be healthy mentally, not necessarily just physically, I think. Great advice there. Um, I, I second the investment in the peloton uh, and i think a lot, a lot of people think that it's this really expensive piece of equipment which, exactly. which it is, you can do it on a subscription as, as you said which is exactly. the equivalent of a gym membership fee uh, exactly home. So, so there you go that's the i'm glad to have back Klarna that's supporting this exactly <laughs> <laughs> very, very true um, and, and last question how do people find you online or, or get in contact with you at Northside yeah I'm, I'm pretty active on Twitter so you can always ping me there but otherwise just sarah at northzone.com works really well and um, yeah but you, you can ping I think all of us on, on Twitter and we're super active there awesome alright well thank you so much Sarah Knuckle uh, uh, Northzone for being a great guest today on the SAS Revolution show thank you Alex bye Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the SaaS Revolution Show. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you learned something from it, check out sasdoc.com forward slash events to find all the upcoming SaaS Doc conferences around the world.